In today's episode, we're going to be going through what the F are ETFs. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that the name of the actual yeah. podcast? Yeah. We'll go with that. Yeah. All right. I love it. All right. So, Anth, let's, let's get started with you. What is an ETF? So an ETF, boys, it stands for an exchange-traded fund. And as the name suggests, it's essentially an investment fund that trades on the stock exchange. Fantastic. And how do these ETFs actually work? So what they do is they, they usually try to track some sort of index, a sector, commodity, or an asset. And before I actually go into how they work, a really good analogy is let's just say you wanted to buy a painting, right? And it costs a million dollars. You don't have a million dollars to your name. You do. I do. I'm very, very fortunate enough to, to be a millionaire. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and looking down the camera. <laughs> There's a scandal brewing yeah. here. <laughs> um, let's say you have you, you want to buy a f- um, what, what example did I give? A painting, painting. A painting yeah. of a million dollars, but you don't have a million dollars. The person that owns the painting, what they could do is they could break up ownership of the painting into fractional... Fractionalizing. Fra- yeah, fractionalizing. So they could break it up and they could break it up into 200,000 units, right? Yeah. So that means that I could therefore get exposure to that painting for 1 million divided by 200,000, mm-hmm. $5. So for $5, I could therefore own a portion of the painting and then whatever price um, the painting goes up or down will be reflected in that $5 or that unit that I own of that painting. Mm -hmm. ETFs are exactly the same thing for shares. So you've got the ETF provider that owns a group or a basket of securities Mm -hmm. and they divide ownership of those assets into units that everyday people like you, me or institutions or organisations can then purchase and then own a portion of the underlying um, assets that the ETF provider So can you give an example of what a basket might look like? It could be anything. So you could have a basket that tracks the top 200 companies on the Australian Stock Exchange, so the ASX 200. You could have one that tracks the NASDAQ 100. These are both uh, sectors. So these are both indexes, examples I've given, but you could have a basket of securities that tracks gold. Mm. So the price movements in gold could be reflected by the ETF that the provider has issued on gold. There's ones on crypto. There's ones on agriculture. Mm. There's absolutely anything. Asian tech. Mm. Pretty sure anything you can think of has an ETF. Well, there's over over 400 ETFs, I think, in Australia alone right. at the moment, and there's thousands overseas. So, yeah, to, to your point, Rich, pretty much anything that you can think of, there's mm. probably an ETF behind it. So this sounds like something that you could use to really diversify your portfolio? Absolutely. Yes, yeah, sorry to jump in. That That's exactly why we've seen the rise of them is that they've come on the rise since COVID and it just allows more and more people to get exposure to shares through a really easy and convenient way without having to handpick stocks that they may not have the time to research and work mm. out, you know, read balance sheets mm. and look at the technicals. Just through a click of a button, they can own a basket, so a big amount of companies. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's quite a convenient way to get such so a large So you don't have to be a seasoned investor no, you to invest don't. or a sophisticated investor. No. Every, you know, Joe Boy can invest into an ETF. Absolutely. And as we'll discuss later, there's they're really easy ways like to actually purchase ETFs compared mm-hmm. to mutual funds and index funds. It's it's really easy to, to get a hold of. Mm. And does that also mean that the risk is spread out across across the basket spot on so i would say it's i mean obviously they don't come without any risks anything you invest in has an element of risk but Mm -hmm. because you're diversifying your portfolio through whatever the etf is following your your risk is diminished because yeah you're you're following or tracking a wider group of 
securities. Yep. So how are ETFs actually priced? Is it, is it tracking like each individual share within the basket and is that sort of how the value comes about or? Yeah, so when an ETF first comes on the market, I, I, we won't go into detail today about how it's originally priced, but to see how the ETF, you know, each day to day, how the price fluctuates, that's to do with what's called the NAV or the net asset value. If you look at all the assets that the ETF holder has or the ETF provider has in this ETF, it's just working out the assets that they own minus any liabilities or expenses that they incur divided by the amount of units in the ETF itself. So going back to the example I said at the top of um, with the photo, uh, with the art, um, uh, yeah, the gallery. The gallery. <laughs> Why can't I say that today? Artwork. <laughs> yeah, artwork. Um, you know, you'd say the assets, the amount of um, yeah, assets on hand, a million dollars, any expenses or liabilities that they have divided by the $200,000 uh, 200, uh, units. units that they've issued. That would give you the net asset value of $5. Now, do you need to know that? Like, is Or is it a very technical, te- technical aspect of ETFs? Like, I'm very into ETFs. Like, I'm a massive ETF advocate. For, so, to me, I think it's important. But for everyday people, maybe not. I mean, I, I would suggest that you should always make sure that the share price of the ETF is very similar to the NAV. You don't want it being completely out mm. of sync. They're, they're rarely going to be par on par. Like, so like exactly the unit, the share price should be exactly the same as the NAV. There, there's usually is a little bit of discrepancy in the topic for another day, but there's ways that they can regroup and sync back yeah. up. It's whether it's overpriced or underpriced. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So as long as they're pretty similar, okay. you're, you're, you're mm. safe. Yeah. And in terms, I guess, a common question is how does an ETF differ from an index fund? Are they pretty much the same? Is it the same sort of terminology there? Or what's, I guess, what's the difference? Yeah, so they can be similar. Like, like we said at the top, you can have ETFs that track an index. And if you look at that, if you compare an ETF that tracks an index mm. to an index fund, yes, they are quite similar. They're both passive investments that, yeah, as I said, try to track the performance of an index. However, with the definition of an ETF, it is uh, something that's listed on the stock exchange. So you mm-hmm. can buy it between, on the ASX, you can buy it between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. as much as you want. You can buy and sell as often as you want. An index fund can only be purchased after hours, after the trading day, similar to a mutual fund or a managed fund. Mm, so okay. um, whilst they are similar in what they're tracking, the ways that you can buy it and sell it, ETFs are much easier to buy and sell. How do you personally get your ETFs? The same way that I buy my stocks. Yep. So choose a stockbroker, buy and sell the exact same way, the ticker of the ETF. Mm-hmm. It's the same as you know your ticker for your stocks that you buy and sell. You literally treat them exactly like... Mm. buying and selling stocks and which is fantastic and is there a minimum amount you have to spend on an etf i believe it might be 500 dollars. okay i could be wrong don't quote me so on same this. as stocks you'd, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. categorize yeah. the same way whereas and that's it's i'm glad you raised that with index funds i believe it's i think it's five thousand dollars okay. uh, minimum requirement to purchase into index funds i was actually looking on vanguard's site this morning and so you can actually do a 200 dollars order and auto investment so let's just say every month you wanted to buy 200 dollars worth of a certain etf um that minimum comes down from 500 to 200. Oh, there you go. You also can use the Combank, for an example, Combank Pocket Shares. This episode is not sponsored by Combank, by the way. Um, <laughs> but if you Come are, back if, you're listening. If, if you are out there, um, yeah, we're open to <laughs> conversations. <laughs> 
But there is a fifty dollar uh, minimum that you can do. So if you don't have, you know, the sort of capital like two hundred dollars a month or five hundred dollars to buy a position, you can start, you know, super small with fifty dollar purchases. Would that be like a dollar cost average? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the auto Similar, invest yeah. would be, yep. yeah, yeah. 100% it would be. So majority of like the crypto exchanges have the auto investing, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. similar processes. Similar, yeah. similar here as well. So that allows you to average your buy-in price over time, especially helpful in a uh, downward trending market Absolutely. like we're in now. So. And I guess the main part of ETFs are they are <clears throat> very passive compared to, you know, we've spoken about the similarities between index funds and ETFs, which is they're both passive. If you compare that to a managed fund, a managed fund aims to outperform the market. So... Mm-hmm. You've got fund managers who handpick individual stocks and you would spend more money to get access to a managed fund because you are, you've you got to pay for the fund manager's time mm. and skills and expertise to actually outperform the market. Mm-hmm. So you've got uh, managed funds that will actually aim, handpick stocks. They won't just follow an index or a sector. They will pick stocks that they think will outperform the average of the market, whereas ETFs will just perform. Will ETFs and index funds generally just p- give you average market returns? Now, what's great about this is and why shows how strong and how great ETFs have been over the last 10 or 15 years. Back in, I think it was 2007 or 2008, Warren Buffett had a bet with a a hedge fund manager. I can't remember who it was. And it was a $1 million bet that over the next 10 years, he believed that, uh, I think it was an index fund, would outperform that hedge fund's returns. And they had, yeah, a $1 million bet and whoever lost would donate $1 million to charity. Of course, Warren Buffett won. The index fund outperformed. Um, the hedge fund so it just goes to show you that <laughs> how smart he is yeah <laughs> how smart he is um but b sometimes you don't need to overcomplicate your investing and just having indexes or funds that just track the index or etfs that give you average market returns is more than okay so you're telling traders out there to stay in their lanes uh not necessarily <laughs> i think if you're an active investor and you do well keep doing it but i also would say there's nothing wrong with having some of your portfolio in yeah. passive investments as well it's diversifying exactly. Isn't it? yeah exactly <clears throat> exactly and and on that is it is it super important to know what the basket includes like if you're buying your you know apples and your metas and your googles are you do you know that you're buying those or do you need to do more research on those what I would say is at the top, there's something called the product disclosure statement, the PDS, and that you can get that online from the ETF provider. So, so if you're buying an ETF in from Vanguard or BetaShares, you can search for the ETF online. It'll give you all the information in this PDS. It's a really long PDF document that explains everything about it, the share price, the net asset value, uh, all the different stocks that are within that. So first of all, I would say you absolutely should read that. Mm-hmm. To your point, Rich... It, it really depends. Like if you're investing in an ETF that tracks the 200 stocks on the ASX, I don't think you really need to know what they are, especially mm-hmm. outside of the top 10 or 15. If you think that the ASX 200 is going to give you the returns that you think it will or you hope it will over the long term, mm-hmm. does it really matter what's in there? Okay. Does it really matter that the 199th stock has fallen out and something in the 201st mm-hmm. stock has gone in? Does that really matter? I'd say probably not. I think it's important to know what you're investing in, but... With an ETF, there's, there's so many it's stocks the, in there. It's more yeah. the trend of the overall yeah, market yeah, rather than yeah. an individual yeah. stock. Or, or more the industry yeah. or the sector that you're yeah. investing in. Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah. Going, going to that further, if you're investing in the NASDAQ 100, obviously a very tech-heavy uh, ETF or a tech-heavy index, I should say. If you think tech's going to struggle in the next 10 years, mm. that's when you should think, yeah. I should... Correct. Probably avoid it. Mm. But don't worry too much about the individual <clears throat> stocks because they are they you're so diversified in that ETF. Yep. It's not going to be a huge weighting of the yeah. overall 
portfolio. And and on that, just wanted to touch on ETF overlapping as well. When you say like if you want to invest into a lithium company and that lithium company is in the ASX 200, do you, would you just select one ETF as your portfolio and invest into that or would you select both ETFs? So the ETF for lithium and the ETF for that to track the ASX 200. Apples and oranges. So I, I wouldn't, just because there's some lithium stocks that might maybe in the ASX 200, Again, it might only be such a small weighting that ETF Portfolio, itself. Yeah. So if you really think lithium is the future and it's going to give you really great results in the years to come, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having both uh, ETF that tracks lithium and uh, the ASX 200 ETF that may have some exposure to lithium. Yep. I think that's, that's absolutely okay. Mm-hmm. And what about the fees involved with ETFs? Yeah, so as we said before, very small compared to managed funds. They're called basis points or they can be expressed as a basis point. So I think there's some of the top ETFs, are 0.05 basis points, which means for every $1,000 you invest, your fees are only 50 cents, which is just peanuts. Mm. Absolutely yeah. ridiculous. So you can absolutely, there's no reason why everyday people can't get involved in, in ETFs. Yeah, fantastic. Because um, what if you've got an ETF rights and a lot of these can hold stocks that produce a dividend for their investors? How does that work and how do you get paid out if you own one of those ETFs? First of all, ETFs, they do pay dividends. They're called distributions. It's essentially the exact same thing. So if you hear the word distribution, don't be alarmed. It's a dividend. You can choose, just with stocks, you can choose whether you want to take out the distribution or the dividend and take that in cash and put it in your bank account or you can choose to reinvest that back into the ETF through a DRP and you can set that up through your either computer share or link market services, whatever your, your shareholding registry is. You can yeah, set that up yourself. But essentially the ETF holder, either Vanguard, BetaShares, BlackRock, whoever it is, they will pass on all dividend distributions to their shareholders of the ETF. And that touches on the compounding that we spoke about in, in the previous episode and how that just multiplies on itself when you're reinvesting your dividends. Absolutely. Yeah, not not financial advice, but I mean, I personally, I elect the DRP for everything I do that has that. I just think it's such a passive way to keep accumulating in whatever you're, you're investing in rather mm-hmm. than taking the cash out. Mm. So yeah, it's uh, that's one of the, one of my main strategies. Fantastic. And what are some other things for investors to keep in mind when looking into ETFs? Probably the first thing is there's over 400 in Australia. So you've got to choose one that you want. There's plenty to choose from. But also just remember that, you know, ETFs give you average market results. So that's, I don't mean that in a bad way. That's not a bad thing. But just remember that just to manage your expectations that, you know, you're not going to outperform the market. No. You're going to give pretty much what the market returns is what you're going to get, which is fine. So just remember that, yeah, it's, it's not going to make you a millionaire overnight, but I don't think that should be anyone's strategy in the mm. first place anyway. No, we're in it for a lot for the long term. No, it's good to good to set the expectations so people don't get disheartened when they're not making yeah, crypto-like returns through ETF. Yeah. yeah, and then the last one is just, yeah, remember that it's such a great way to get diversification into um, into the stock market. So just another thing to being an, Being an owner of several different stocks out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you want to handpick stocks, going back to... Um, you know, the NASDAQ example, if you wanted to handpick Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, that would cost you a lot if you individually handpicked those stocks to cost you thousands of dollars. But through an ETF, you can get exposure to that and the other 95 companies on the NASDAQ 100 for the exact same amount of investment. Very good. Well, yeah, I think that was a, well, that was a very insightful lesson. So thank you very much, guys. I think we'll end it there and we'll see you in the next episode, guys.